Iyer's on the road. Parenting in a modern world. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. And hi, we are back, and we are actually on a road in Cache Valley, Utah. Cache Valley, the valley that I grew up in, the valley that we had our courtship in, Linda. The valley where we got engaged. The valley where we got married. <laughs> exactly. This is a wonderful place. We love Cash Valley. It is a little chilly here today, frosty looking. The reason we're here, we just got back from Houston. We were in Houston, Texas, giving a presentation to a wonderful group of parents, all of whom are entrepreneurs and all of whom own their own companies. And, and Essentially, our message was, if you can use the same creative, deliberate thinking, proactive thinking that you use in your companies and in your businesses, if you can apply that same energy and that same creative power to how you're raising your children, you're going to be successful. And we, I think, I think we use the word deliberate a lot, don't you, Linda? Be deliberate. Be proactive. You can't. Too many parents think they can leave parenting to chance and just roll along. And if if a problem comes up, they'll try to solve it. But that's a defense. That's not an offense. It's so true. Um, We so often. I mean, these entrepreneurs are type A personalities. They go from one business to the next, buy and sell, buy and sell. But they're always so involved and have their fingers in so many pies. And it, often it just doesn't occur to them that they don't spend as much time thinking about the actual details and the workmanship and how to make a family work as they do to make a business work. For example, and we're gonna our topic today is actually going to be these terrible terrorist attacks and how to deal with those with children. But before we get to that, I think we want to spend just a minute or two on on this recent uh, session we had with these really exceptional parents uh, in Texas. And, and what you started to say, Linda, is so interesting because these are people who you could say, hey, show me your goals for your company. And boy, they would be on it. They would lay out a pro forma. They would lay out a vision, mission statement or vision statement. They would lay out what their objectives were for the year. They'd give you a chart or two on the increase in sales that they want to have and so on. And then, unfortunately, if you said, and this is not just them, it's parents in general, what are, can you give me the same kind of specific goals for what you want to do as a parent with your children? Uh, a lot of times, and I'm not condemning, I'm just saying this is a point to start from, you get a blank look and you get someone saying, well, gee, I don't know, I guess my goal for parenting is uh, be a good mom or be a good dad. And that's great, but that's not very specific. And so a lot of what we try to do with parents is to say, can you make that a very specific plan? What do you hope to see in this child over the next year? And what are your what are your methodologies for bringing that about? And once people really get thinking hard, about that they do pretty well and the other thing we always talk about is having uh, if they're lucky enough to be a two-parent family they're a single parent we have to give this challenge where they do it with a grandparent or someone else who cares about the kid 
but we call it a monthly five-facet review. We've, we've hinted at this before, but Linda, what do we mean when we say once a month, go out to dinner together and have a five-facet review? Just the parents, not the kids, just the parents talking about the kids. Explain that. Well, you know, somebody gave us this idea, I think, and it's, it's really saved us, I think, in a lot of ways because we did decide the first Friday of every month we're going to go out to dinner and we're just going to have one thing on our agenda, and that is going to be talking about the kids and their five facets, each one. And a lot of people, for us, uh, would say, wait, you have nine kids. You're going to talk about five facets on each one. You must have to go to a Chinese restaurant with 13 courses in order to get through this. And You'd think so, but no, actually, you know, usually you say, oh, well, she's doing fine physically. But socially, she really is struggling. She feels like she doesn't have friends. What can we do about that? And then you you brainstorm together. And the great thing I think about this little system is that the husband is a great problem solver. They may not be totally involved in raising the kids and so on as much as you want, but they are really great problem solvers. And if you present a problem to them in a very um, organized way, they can come up with a solution. You can talk about it together, and it's pretty amazing what can happen. Let's back up, though, a little and give the structure for that, because this is this is one of those proactive sort of structured things that you can do in any family, regardless of the age of the kids, that will have a major impact on how proactive and how 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 disciplined and how deliberate you are in your parenting. So the basic structure is to have a time set once a month where you go out together, just the two of you as parents, and you deal with each child one at a time by talking about the five facets. How is Tommy doing physically? Talk about it. How, are there any health issues? Are there any eye issues? Are there any teeth issues? Are there any worries physically and what are his gifts physically are you developing him is he is he good at certain things uh, do you have him in too many sports maybe is there one you have to zoom in on so have this whole little brainstorming discussion evaluating tommy in terms of his physical progress then secondly how's tommy doing mentally not only how's he doing in school but how does he process information? What kind of a learner is he? What have you observed about what he does well at academically and what are his what are his challenges academically and so on? Really think that through. And then, Linda, I think your favorite one always is, how is Tommy doing socially? Right. And, you know, we had a child, um, our first child, in fact, was so shy and so... Um, reticent to be outgoing with friends that she was struggling right through junior high, um, crying because all the kids were having parties without her and saying, no, no, they're not, but actually, yes, they were. <laughs> and uh, it really is interesting to sit and think, how can we, how can we help this child together? And, and, when you, and what, what you're doing here, if you get the picture, you're creating a brainstorming situation the wife may say, well, I've noticed this about Tommy. Well, the husband, well, what can we do about that? And you're trying to figure it out. You're the, you're the senior management of the family. You're the parents. You're the ones, to be blunt, entitled to inspiration about that child. So that's the third facet. How are they doing socially? 
And then four, how is Tommy doing emotionally? What are his mood swings? What are his, um, does he have a temper? Do we need to worry about any depression? What is, what's happening in his emotions? And again, maybe everything's fine. You check it off and move on. But maybe you've noticed something you're a little worried about. Maybe there's something there that needs to be discussed. And then finally, number five, how is Tommy doing spiritually? How's his heart? How's he? Does he? Does he feel the faith that you hope he feels? And and are there things you can do for that child? Now, let me just say what I love about this, Linda, and we have done this personally. I mean, if you want a testimonial, we've done this now for 35, 40 years, and I think. It's been maybe in some ways the most consistent thing we've done. And and here's the promise I'd like to make you. If you'll have a regular five-facet review, again, if you're lucky enough to be a married couple with children, that's what you do. Just the two of you, confining your agenda to just your kids and going through those five facets. If you are a single parent, it's wonderful to do this with a grandparent or someone else that really knows your kids. And the promise I would make to you is twofold. Number one, if there are problems emerging with that child, and this could be anything from like what you were saying, Linda, a child that's really shy or withdrawn, or it could be something very specific, a, a teenager who is showing some signs and you analyze them and realize you might be experimenting with drugs. I mean, it could be any number of things, but the first promise I want to make to you, you'll nip problems in the bud. You'll notice them early and you'll deal with them before they get out of hand. The second promise I'd make to you is you'll get to know the child better and you'll recognize some of his or her gifts or some of the things you really want to work on and develop. This child has an inherent talent in art, let's say, or or in music, or or you know, he really does like science. Are we are we feeding his gifts? Are we getting to the thing of what he could really be great at? It's so true. Well, we, we kind of got carried away on that just because we were talking about this extensive, <clears throat> extensively with these parents last night, but. The topic today of this show, and we'll have a few minutes to talk just before we go to break, and then we'll really develop it in the second half, is the tyranny of terror. You know, as parents and grandparents, we are all so concerned about what's going on in the world today um, with terror and with ISIS and so on. And I think everybody is so worried about it right now. And parents are worried about how much to talk to their kids about it or whether to leave those kids to hear it on the news or at school or whatever and maybe get very, very worried about their own safety. Now, you know, the reason we want to talk about it this week, obviously, is what happened in San Bernardino just a couple of days ago and what happened in Paris a week ago. And it's all over the news. I personally think that the news, especially the 24-hour news cycle stations, are part of the problem because, you know, not only are they part of the problem because copycat uh, acts happen from people hearing over and over and over about the fame of these people who've killed other people, 
but I, I worry about it because the constant stressing of it is is be making it so present to children, and they become more and more worried. I personally wish that at least one news channel would say, hey, you know, we're going to cover this, and if there's a new development, we'll let you know, but we're not going to cover it 24 hours a day. We're going to get into some other kinds of news. But let's take a break, Linda, and then give a little preview of what we'll do. Oh, yeah, we, we really need to talk about how much your children need to know according to the age they are and according to their maturity level because there are some things that they need to know because they're going to be hearing this. You can't go flip the TV off or the radio off every time this comes up. We really have to have a way to address it. And so we're going to talk about that in the second half right after this short break. Take a brief break. We'll be back to talk about the tyranny of terror. Iyer's on the road. Parenting in a modern world. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. So, parents... Let's, uh, this is a little offbeat, a little different than what we would usually talk about on Iris on the Road, but it's sure current, it's sure timely. How much do your children need to know about terrorism? I've met parents, Linda, who think the answer to that is zero. I want to protect my kids from every possible thing that would scare them or worry them. And these, by the way, are usually the same parents who talk incessantly to their kids about stranger danger. Be aware of strangers. There could be bad people out there. I worry a little with people on that extreme end of the spectrum that they're creating unnecessary fear and anxiety in their kids. On the other hand, the far other end of the spectrum, parents who, you know, don't have any constraints and and the kids hear what happened in Paris, what happened in San Bernardino, what could happen here. Remember that little boy on on TV that was so worried about yeah, what had happened? Oh, my gosh. He was only three or four. He could barely talk and he was speaking in French. So, you know, how do I know? But um, they were translating for him. And he was. they were at a site in Paris where all the killings happened. And he said, in essence, you know, this went viral. Probably many of you have seen this. He said, oh, Daddy, we have to move because there's bad men here. And his daddy said, no, honey, we're not going to move. We'll stay here because there's bad men everywhere. And we just have to be able to protect ourselves. I mean, it was really sad that you have to tell a child that. But <clears throat> there are some things that are realities in your children's lives that we need to know. And I think we disagree a little bit on this. Yeah, I think we do. Because, let's, let's have a public disagreement. Here. Yeah, I, I think kids need to know what's going on. And obviously, a, a preschooler or elementary school, you have to be very careful about how you approach it and what you say and so on. Um, we had an 11-year-old, uh, my sister's granddaughter, who immediately yeah. said on Instagram, on her Instagram account, which tells you a little bit about her, um, you know, pray for Paris. You know, the minute it happened, she was into it and knew what was going on. And I think that's good as far as not to the point of scaring, but knowing what's going on. But by well, the time they're teenagers, they should know what's well, going do you, on. Well, let me just ask you, do you think that a little 11-year-old niece of yours do you think she's emotionally mature enough to be thinking about a massacre in Paris 
And, I mean, it's nice that she, you know, does an Instagram post that says, pray for Paris. But are you worried that that has a negative sort of depressing effect on her, that she's thinking enough about it that she's posting about it? No, I think most kids don't go that far. I mean, adults can get depressed about this, and kids obviously can if they're prone to be depressed anyway. But I think it's just important to know that I think she was just thinking something really bad has happened in Paris to a lot of people, and we need to pray for them. I just think that's a really good level for 11, 12-year-olds. But by the time they get to be teenagers, it really is important. I so regret the fact that I had no idea what was going on in the world when I was in high school. And it was during the civil rights era. Um, it was during... Yeah, but that was yeah, I didn't know what was going but on. But I think that's different. I mean, being informed and being overly aware of of really disastrous and tragic and terrorism events are two different things. I, I mean, maybe I'm overstating this a little because we're doing a stage argument I mean, here, but I usually do. Well, but I just I kind of think that uh, I you know. Somehow, whatever you do, parents, you've got to get across to your children that the vast majority of people are good people. And they're not only good people, they're people who would help you. If you're a child and you have a problem, they're people who would help you. What I worry about are kids where the parents are stressing so much the idea of protection and of safety and of never speak to a stranger and people can be really bad and you could get kidnapped, and somebody could be a terrorist. And I think you, you don't want to create phobias in your children. If you, Whatever you do in terms of discussing that, please make the emphasis be for every one person, there are bad people in the world, there are dangerous people in the world, but for every one of them, there's a thousand good ones. And if you ever do get in trouble, if you ever are worried about someone, if anyone is ever trying to harm you in some way best thing you can do is scream really loud because there's a thousand people who will want to help you if they hear that you're in trouble and i think somehow we've got to balance it to where kids yeah they're aware that there's bad in the world they're aware there's evil in the world they're aware there's danger in the world but they're not obsessed by it and they're comforted by the idea that their parent is always assuring them Look, we're in a shopping mall, honey. Look around. You can see hundreds of people right now. Let me tell you something. Almost all and maybe everyone you can see is a good person who would help you if you needed help. Well, I think that's great. I think that's very important. And maybe we don't verbalize that enough with our kids. Um, So I totally agree with that. But I do think that our kids need to be a little bit more aware of what's going on in the world. And I think one of the very saddest things about this latest incident with the shooting of this Christmas party of healthcare workers by a Muslim or by somebody with a Muslim name and uh, who came from a Muslim country is just going to be terror of anybody who sees a woman with a scarf or anyone who has a name that they identify as being Muslim. It's a tragedy because, as you just said, the vast majority of Muslims are great people who would drop anything and help you. Um, we but, are we are particularly worried about because we a lot of our travels in recent years have taken us to Muslim countries and Muslim civilizations, and 
and we we now have a lot of good friends who are Muslims, and they are such good people, and they are so incredibly embarrassed and really just shattered by the fact that someone in the name of Islam is committing acts of atrocity. And frankly, we should understand that in our own culture because, you know, we hate it when someone says, oh, you're a Mormon, well, how many wives do you have? Or, you know, has some other gross misunderstanding and blankets the whole church. And and that, I guess, in spades is how a lot of Muslims feel today. Well, obviously, and I mean, ISIL has no idea how much harm they're doing to the Muslim world. Um, they just have no idea. Anyway, I mean, that is just the craziest thing, how somebody can be radicalized. I, I don't understand that at all. Well, and, let, and let's. I think we can kind of come together on our little sort of partial disagreement. I, I do lean toward caution and how much children, young children, should know about atrocities and terror. And, and maybe Linda would be a little more open about it than I would. But I think where we totally agree is once a child is an upper adolescent or beginning the teen years, that's a kid who really needs to know what's going on in the world and who needs to begin formulating his or her own opinion. So I think a great thing for a parent to do is get in a discussion, maybe triggered by one of these terrible tragedies, and and to ask questions of the child, like you're talking to a 13-year-old, or let's say, and you, you say, Honey, what what do you think, what would cause a person to want to kill other people? What would cause a person to want to blow themselves up in order to create disruption and so on? And see if they have any idea about what some of those things might be and about how people could be radicalized and, and maybe even about uh, how it's possible that uh, people who are economically depressed and especially young men who don't have jobs and don't have income and who watch TV and see the West as rich and decadent. And how could a person like that begin to become a person who wants to harm other people and who's very, very jealous? See if a kid can think about those thoughts, but not until they're about, you know, 13 or 14 years old. Yeah, and then on to 15, 16, 17, because it, it's so easy for them to become prejudiced, and it's so right. easy for them to uh, listen to what's going on around them and not have any focus. It's just like talking to your child about sex. I mean, not just like it, but it is something that we need to guide our children in so that we're not creating another whole cloud of fa- of, of terror, you know, or um, destruction in their mind, so that they, they know how to couch this. They know how to do it, and I don't know that any of us really know how to do it, but I asked one of our 15-year-old grandsons the other day what he thought about ISIS, and he said, what's ISIS? Yeah, he didn't even know. He had no idea that ISIS even existed. I mean, that that is pretty out of touch. I think our kids need to know they're growing up in a scary world, and it's not going to get any better. I mean, it's just going to, it's really going to escalate, and the kids need to know what they think. Well, and I think one the, a really important point you just made, Linda, is that I'll put it in the form of a question. Who would you rather have as the source of your kids' information about terrorism or about a horrible act that happened? 
Would you rather have it be you in a discussion you're having with the child where you have some control and some input, or would you rather have the child learn about that through a peer group or through something they hear on the media that they don't understand and that scares them to death? I think it, it is, you made the point that in some ways this is like talking to kids about sex. That it's the same question. If you don't have discussions and ask questions and give information to your children about sex, where are they going to get it? From the peer group, from the Internet, from the media, without your filter, without your nuances, without your, your uh, beliefs and faith being put in. So as a general rule, when there's something that, that could be dangerous, that could be troubling, whether it's drugs, whether it's sex, whether it's terrorism, whether it's violence, I think a good rule of thumb is you ought to be the one talking to that adolescent child about it, and you ought to be the sort of base level of that child's information so that whatever else he hears will be filtered by what you've talked to them about rather than getting their source material from sources that are going to scare them or are going to mislead them. So I think really the bottom line here is if you're going to talk to your kids about what's going on, the scary things in the world today, you know, uh, be as um, protective as you can of little ones, but let them know that there are some bad people in the world, but that most, the majority of people are good people who are willing to help them. The vast majority. For every one bad one, there's a thousand good ones. And then on the other hand, when you talk to these teenagers, let them know that there are some really bad people in this world, and there are a lot of them, but the vast majority of Muslims are good people. Yeah, and then let the kids give you their opinion as to why they're the way they are. Yeah, just have a dialogue. That's what we're saying. Have a dialogue. Talk about it so you know what your kids are thinking. They know what you're thinking. Hey, next week we'll be much more positive. We had to pause and have a little negative discussion today. Well, I don't know on that negative. Make it positive. But um, it is something we need to think about. So we wish you the very best. Thanks for being great parents and grandparents out there. We'll see you again next week. We're talking about Christmas next week, so tune in next week, Hires on the Road.